Well, turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. For the last several weeks, we've been opening up God's Word to discover what God has to say about the blessed life. The truth is, there's a lot of confused people when it comes to the blessed life. Much um, of us, many of us today, have such an aversion to the health and wealth gospel that we've either completely disregarded anything the Bible says about the blessed life or we've totally spiritualized the blessed life and have come to believe that it has nothing to do with material or physical blessings. And that's sad because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible uses two different words for blessed. The first word describes a happiness that comes from God. It's a happiness that's independent of any situation, any circumstances that we may face in our life. It's a joy that we can have regardless of what is going on in our life externally. And I am convinced that each and every one of us wants that kind of happiness in our life. Now, if you don't want that, then you can just pray that your portion of happiness and joy comes to me. Because I would like to have all of the internal happiness and joy that I can get. But there's another word that the Bible uses to describe happiness. There's another word that that is translated blessed in the Word of God. And that word means divine favor. It means God's supernatural power working on your behalf. And that's what we've been looking at the last several weeks. What does it take... For God's supernatural power to work on your behalf. Because God is God of all. He is God Almighty. He is the sovereign God. He is the one and only true God. And I believe each and every one of us want the one and only true God, God Almighty, the sovereign God, to work on our behalf. But what does that take? I mean, if I want God to work on my behalf, if I want God to pour out his supernatural favor on me, is there something that I have to do? In other words, if I want to receive the blessings of God, does the Bible say that I have to be blessable? And the answer is yes. If I want God's blessings poured out on me, then I have to be blessable. I have to put myself into a position where God's blessings can be poured out on me. Now, when we began this series, we discovered that the Bible teaches that God pours out His blessing on those who have a relationship with Him. It says this in God's Word. It says that that God um, blesses those who know Him. When we know him in a personal way, when we know him in an intimate way, when we are his family, then we place ourselves in a position where God can bless us. And and we discover that that in, in our lives, individually as people, we are more often likely to bless someone who is a family member, someone who is close to us, than we are to bless a complete stranger. Now, there are times when we may bless someone that we don't know at all. 
But for the most part, we're going to pour out our blessings on those that we know, those that we love. And the same thing's true with God. And, and we discovered that we come to have that relationship with God through three things. We, we cry out to God for forgiveness. We place our faith, our trust in Him. And then we surrender control of our lives to Him. And when we do that, we become a part of His family and we place ourselves in that position where we're blessable. Last week, we discovered there's a second thing that is involved in, in being blessable, and that is I must be obedient to God. If I want to live a blessed life, then I must be obedient to what God says. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and you carefully follow all of His commands I give you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You see, the Bible teaches that God's blessings are not only tied to my relationship with God, God's blessings are tied to my obedience to God. And last week, we discovered that obedience involves two things. First of all, we must hear what God says to do. And to hear it means that we get into the Word, we read the Word, we study the Word, we, we find out what God says in this book. But it's not just enough to know what God says to do. We must do what God says to do. Obedience is not only knowing the truth, obedience is doing the truth. And it's foolish for us today to believe that God is going to rain down His blessings upon us when His Word clearly teaches something to us, and yet we are disobeying His Word. You see, if I want to be in a place where I am experiencing the supernatural blessings of God, then I must obey whatever God says to do. But this morning, I want us to talk about the area in which I am convinced most people get tripped up when it comes to experiencing the blessings of God. You see, the Bible teaches that God's blessings are poured out on those who not only are blessable because of their obedience, but are blessable because His blessings are being poured out through them. In other words, if I want to experience God's blessings, I must release God's blessings to others. And the primary way that I do that biblically is through radical generosity. I become an extravagant giver. And so if I want to be blessed by God, I must be generous. Write this down. Put it on your paper, but put it in your mind. God's blessings are tied to our generosity. God's blessings are tied to our generosity. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, and I would dare say all of us, aren't generous by nature. Someone put it this way. When you're an infant, you come out into this life with closed hands. And it seems like you keep them closed from that point on. Someone puts their finger into the hand of a little infant, and what do they do? They close their hand around that finger, and they hold on tight. They don't let go. 
As those infants become toddlers, they, they hold on to their teething rings. They, they hold on to their toys and they hold on with a tight grip. They don't want to let go. And if some other child comes around their toy and wants to play with their toy, they hold on even tighter and they say, mine. And then we get into junior high and, and the person says that we hold on tight to our bicycle handlebars and we hold on tight to our pencils. And we get into senior high and we hold on tight to a girl's hand named Sarah Jane. And then we get into college and we hold on tight to some things that we wish we would have never held on tight to. And when we graduate, we hold on tight to a diploma that we've been given. We get into the world and we hold on tight to the first rung of that ladder of success. And then as we move up the ladder of success, we hold on tight to each and every rung. One day we retire. And when we retire, we hold on tight to the golf club or to our gardening tools or, or to our pension fund. But we hold on tight. As we get older, we hold on tight to our cane. Sooner or later, we hold on tight to our 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 walking devices. And then one day, before we die, he said that many people hold on tight to that hospital bed. And he says it's only then at death that people finally turn loose and quit holding on tight to things. And the point he's making is, is that from birth to death, it seems like that we are by nature clutchers. That's what most of us are. We work hard to get things and then we work hard to hold on to things. And yet, the Bible teaches clearly that God's blessings flow through those that don't hold on with a tight fist to things, but rather have things in their hands with an open hand. I want you to notice what it says in Deuteronomy 15. And I want to begin reading in verse 7. And this isn't on your note sheet, but I want to begin reading in verse 7. It says, If there is a poor man among your, um, among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted, or listen to what it says, or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Now, did you get that? I mean, what God's saying is, is don't be a clutcher. Don't be tight-fisted to people who are in need. But then he goes on to say, rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debt is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him. Do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. Now, under God's law, there was a stipulation that, that you were to give to people in need. But in that stipulation... It also said that, that you were to pay back what someone gave you. 
And so when, when someone blessed you, and, and you were blessed in return, you were to give back to them. They would lend you money to get by, but, but then as, as you were blessed and you got on your feet, you were to pay back what you borrowed for them, what they lent to you. But in the law, there was a stipulation that every seventh year, you canceled all debts. And so if you gave someone some money, if you lent someone some money, then they had seven years to pay you back. But at the end of the seven years, if they hadn't paid you back, all debts were canceled under the law in the nation of Israel. And so this is what God is saying to his people. Some of you aren't going to help someone in need if the seventh year is approaching. For instance, if, if six years and six months have gone by and, and someone who is truly in need comes to you and, and says, I need some help, and, and you have the ability to help them, and yet you know in six months they're going to be free and clear. They're not going to have to pay you back. By nature, your thought is going to be, I'm not going to help them because I'm never going to get this money back. And what God says is don't have that attitude. Because if you have that attitude and someone is truly in need, someone is truly poor, and they cry out to God, God may hear their cry, and then God's not going to bless you. However, if you give to people who are in need, if you have open hands when it comes to the blessings that God has poured out in your life, then God says, I'm going to bless your work and everything you put your hand to. In other words, God says, if you have a generous heart, I am going to give you the Midas touch. In other words, everything you touch, God's going to bless. Now, that's a pretty good promise, isn't it? God says if you help the poor who are in your land and you don't do it grudgingly, then I'm going to bless your work and everything you put your hand to, I am going to bless. I'm going to give you the Midas touch. And that's a pretty good word there. Now, in Proverbs, it says pretty much the same thing. In Proverbs 22, it says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. And so the man who is willing to help, the woman who is willing to help, those who are less fortunate than they are, they will be blessed. And understand, this word blessing here, and the word in Deuteronomy is the word barak, which talks about God's supernatural favor. So God says that when you are generous to other people, then God's favor is going to rain down upon you. Now, before we go any further, we need to clear up a few things about giving our money to anyone and everyone who comes asking for help. I mean, what should we do? I mean, because to be honest with you, when, when someone finds out that we have a generous heart, then every one of their cousins... Their nieces, their nephews, their neighbors, and anyone that's on their email list starts coming to you as well. Is that correct? Well, if you haven't experienced that, you probably haven't ever been generous. Because when you become generous, understand that people are going to discover that you're generous and people are going to start coming to you. So what do you do when people come to you with their tough time stories and their bad luck stories? 
I mean, are you to simply open up your wallet and and give every one of them money? Is that what the Bible says in Deuteronomy and Proverbs? Are we to simply open up our checkbooks and, and write a check and give to anyone who says they have a need? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. So how do we find out who we really help? Well, you got to pray. you got to ask God for guidance. And, and let me just say, if you want God's guidance and who to help and when to help and how to help, you got to have a relationship with Him. Because God's going to answer the prayers of those that He knows and those that know Him. And so the very first thing you do is you pray and say, God, I just want to be generous and I want to be gracious to people who are in need, but I need your wisdom as I'm helping people. So that's the first thing you do. You're willing. You you aren't closed-fisted. You're open-handed. And you're saying, God, I want to help. Guide me. Give me direction. Now, as you're praying and you're asking God for direction, you understand that just as the Bible teaches that we are to be generous to the poor, the Bible also says that if a man does not work, guess what? He doesn't eat. In other words, The Bible teaches that there are some people that we aren't supposed to help. You say, Rocky, that sounds hard-hearted. No, that's what God's Word says. And the reason is, when we help some people, we aren't helping them. We are enabling them. And God never wants us to enable people. God wants us to help set people free. And so how do we discover whether we should help someone? Well, there's some people that because of health, either physically or mentally, they aren't able to work. They want to work. They wish they could work, but they're not able to work. And we should help them. There are other people who have worked hard their entire life, but but they never had a nice paying job. and, And now they've come to that point in life where they're a little bit older, And they're relying on a government stipend, Social Security, to get them by. And and depending on what you made, your Social Security may be little to nothing. And so there are people who worked hard all their life who don't have much as they come to the end of their life, not because they didn't work hard, not because they didn't try hard, it's just they don't have that much. There are some people that don't have because they've made poor choices. Like, for instance, if someone comes to me and and asks me for help and they have a packet of cigarettes in their pocket, I go, how much do those cigarettes cost? I mean, understand, smoking won't send you to hell, but goodness gracious, you quit smoking, you'll probably have a couple of thousand dollars in your pocket. I mean, we've got to be wise when it comes to who we're going to help. Or in our desire to help people who are in need, we are offsetting another principle in God's Word. Now, here's why, and I want you to listen. Here's why it is much wiser when we want to help people in need to do so through organizations who are helping the need than simply to give people money on the street out of our pocket. Now, why is that? Because those organizations are able to check people out. Those organizations are able to hear the stories. 
and find out if there's truth to stories. For instance, at our Mission Columbia, that's what we do. There are some things where we'll help anyone and everyone one or two times, but, but understand, understand, we want to check people's stories out. We want to know if they are using and abusing the system. And there are other organizations out there that are doing the same thing. And because you and I don't have the resources oftentimes and we don't have the time to sit back and figure things out, we need to be very careful giving people money. If we want to give money to help people in need, it's much better to give that money to organizations that are going to help people in need. And so the thing that the Bible teaches is that generosity is about having open hands rather than clutched hands, and we're going to use our financial resources and opportunities to help others, to bless others. And when we do that, the Bible says God blesses us. So God blesses the generous. And so if you want God's blessings upon your life, you can't go through life with clutched fist. You can't go through life tight-fisted. You have to go through life recognizing that the resources you have are to be used to help others. And so if you want God's blessings, you've got to decide right now, I've got to be an open-handed person, not a clutched fist person. I've got to be generous if I want God's blessings. Now, there's another truth that I believe you need to see that is tied to that, and that is this. Our generosity results in more financial blessings. Now, let me say that again. Our generosity results in more financial blessings. Now, these next verses are extremely important to understanding God's blessings. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessings of the Lord brings wealth. And he adds no trouble to it. Now remember, the book of Proverbs is God's or Solomon's, the book of Proverbs is Solomon's God-inspired observations about life. And one of the things he observes is this. God's blessings result in financial gain. That's what he observes. Now are there exceptions to those rules? Yeah, there are exceptions to that. But here's the truth that God teaches. God's blessings result in financial gain. When God blesses us, oftentimes he blesses us with more financial resources. And then that last phrase is very important. And he adds no trouble to it. I can think of many people in life who have much more money than I have. And yet their life is filled with trouble and anguish. Uh, people can have a lot of money and yet a whole lot of trouble in life. But the Bible says that God's blessings and the wealth that it brings are not accompanied by trouble. In other words, when God brings financial gain to you, there's not going to be a lot of trouble with it. And so that's the promise of God. Now notice what it says in Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. If I want to experience a constant flow of God's blessings, 
I don't receive the blessings and then build a dam and hoard the blessings. No. If I want to receive a constant flow of God's blessings, I have to receive the blessings on one end, but I have to dig a reservoir on the other end so that the blessings continue to flow to others in need. That's what the Bible teaches. You see, a man who gives freely will be blessed even more. And yet someone who hoards what they have will find themselves in poverty. It's a scriptural principle that we need to understand. When we give, we get more. When we hoard, we get less. Now notice what it says in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now did you get that? God says that your barns will overflow, your vats will overflow. Now, I think all of us want that. Now, I I hope you're not wanting vats full of wine that overflow. But you you want God's blessings poured out on you in that way. But God says if we want our barns overflowing and we want our vats overflowing, there's something we've got to do. We've got to honor the Lord with our wealth. That's the first thing he says. So how do we honor God with our wealth? We realize that everything that we have comes from Him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. You see, what I have in my hands is not mine, it's God's. I am simply a steward of God's resources. This past week, my, my wife got a card in the, in the mail from... Um, from a friend of hers. And and this is what it said. She's quoting Mark Batterson in a book that he wrote. To the believer, there is no me, my, or mine. Nothing belongs to you. Not your house, your car, or your clothes. Every material thing is the byproduct of the time, talents, and treasures God has given you. When you kneel at the foot of the cross, the possessive pronoun is eliminated from your vocabulary. And then the person went on to say, it is a joy watching you give everything at the cross. Now, here's the deal. When you come to understand that God is the owner of everything, it's not about what you have. It's about what God has and how does he want to use what he has that he has entrusted in your hands. You see, we are simply stewards of what God gives us. So we honor God when we recognize that it's not mine, it's God's. And then God says this, as he has given things or entrusted things to me, he wants me to give back the first fruits to him. Now, what are the first fruits? They are simply what the Bible says. They are the first fruits that come out of the garden, that come out of the field. They are the first animals that are born. We're giving God the very first. We don't give to God after we have already paid all of our bills, after we've already taken care of all of our other responsibilities. No, the Bible says that we give to God first. Before anything and everything else, we give to God. Now, some people will inevitably reason in their minds, If I do that, then how will I know that I'll have enough left for everything else I need to do? That's the point. You don't. You're trusting God. When you give God the first fruits, 
You were saying, God, I am trusting you to provide for me from here on out. Here's why. I want you to hear me. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But you can tithe and be disobedient to God. If you're tithing, but you're not giving to God first, you're waiting to make sure that you can afford it, you're being disobedient. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible says that if we want God to supernaturally intervene in our life, and to fill up our barns to overflowing and fill up our vats with, with new wine to overflowing, then we not only have to honor God, we have to give God the first fruits. We have to trust Him with everything in our life. And so when we get our paycheck, the very first thing we do is we honor God by giving Him the first fruits. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Because the Bible not only teaches that we're to give God our first fruits, the Bible says that the tithe is where the blessings of God begins. Now understand, I know that every time, every time you mention tithing in church, there's some people that get anxious. And I understand that. I really do. But, but if you're one of those people that you get anxious when tithing is mentioned, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear me. If you want God's blessings in your life, you're never going to experience those blessings until you trust God enough to do what He tells you to do. And you may be here this this morning and, and you're in deep financial problems. And you don't know how to get out. And and even now you're wondering, should I declare bankruptcy? I'm here to tell you that before you do anything else, what you need to do is you need to trust God and begin to do what God says. You need to trust Him here. Because if you want God to intervene in your situation, then you've got to be willing to follow the guidance, the advice, the counsel that God gives. Now notice what he says here. In verse 8 he says, Well, a man robbed God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. And I want you to remember that. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Wines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 15 or chapter 28. When we started this series and we talked about the blessings, the Barak blessings of God, And we saw that that the Bible said over and over and over in Deuteronomy 28, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. But then he also said, if you're not obedient, I will curse you. And in Matthew 3, we see vividly in the nation of Israel, the people are living under a curse because they have been disobedient to God. 
And one of the primary ways the Bible says they were disobedient was in giving their tithes and their offerings. And Malachi chapter 3 made it clear that God said, when you're not giving your tithes, when you're not giving your offerings, you are robbing me. Now, it's amazing how many people gloss over that passage and say, well, that's under the law. And yet, earlier on in Malachi, it says this, I, the Lord your God, does not change. I do not change. I, the Lord your God, do not change. So God doesn't change, and yet we take that right there and we change God. Now, none of us in this room would sit back and say, well, because adultery was given under the law, adultery is okay today. Would anyone use that kind of logic and reasoning? None of us would do that. None of us would say because adultery was given under the law, it's no longer relevant and it's okay to cheat on your spouse, do whatever you want to do. We know that's wrong, and yet, and yet, we've done the exact same thing when it comes to the tithes and the offerings. And we can't do that. God's tithe is a supernatural principle that he gives. Now, let me give you several things that it teaches here. First of all, what is a tithe? Tithe is 10%, plain and simple. 10% off the top of everything God blesses you with. God blesses you with $100 a week, that's $10. If God blesses you with $500 a week, it's $50. If God blesses you with $1,000 a week, it's $1,000. And by the way, it's first fruits. That, that, means, that means that when you tithe, do you pay Uncle Sam first? No, you give your first fruits to God. You know, people, people get confused on this. Well, should I tithe my net or my gross? Well, the Bible says your first fruits. And I think God's much more important than Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam can fall. God's never relinquishing his throne. And so we give to God our tithes, and then it says we give our offerings. Our offerings were gifts given over and above the tithes. So we give 10% to God, and then we give offerings on top of that. Now, where are we to bring it? The Bible says to the storehouse. The storehouse was located in the temple, the place that we worship God. There are some people that say, well, I can divide up my tithe and give it to various causes. I'll give 3% to this, 2% to this, 4% to this, as long as it's 10% total. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that the tithe goes to the storehouse. And the storehouse is the place you worship. The New Testament equivalent is the local church that you're a part of. Robert Morris in his book, The The Life God Blesses, tells a story, and and it's an incredible story that really helps you understand what God is saying here. He said, suppose I decided to go on an extended journey. And before I went on this extended journey, I approached three men, and I gave them a very important assignment. I said, every month I'm going to send you $10,000. Now, of that $10,000, you can spend $9,000 of it any way you choose. But $1,000 of it, I want you to send to my wife. So while I'm gone on this journey, she will be taken care of. And so you take $9,000 of the ten, you use it however you choose, and you send $1,000 to my wife. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? 
I come to you and I give you 10000 and all I ask is that you give 1000 to my wife so that her needs are met. That's a good deal. And so I go on the journey and I'm sending you my money each month. And, and after a couple of months, I call my wife to see how things are going. And I ask her, how are my friends doing with what I asked them to do? And my wife says, well, well one of them is, is sending $1,000 every month just like you said. Uh, the, another one of them, they're, they're sending me 2000 a month. I don't know why, but, but they're sending me 2000 a month. Now, the third one, the first month, he sent 1000 The second month, he sent 800 This month, he didn't send anything. Now, as a husband who has entrusted you with money, And the only thing I've said is to give 10% of it so that my wife will be taken care of. That's all I've said. Give 10% so that my wife is taken care of. How do you think that's going to make me feel? And he goes on to say that that most likely, I will keep on giving the the $10,000 to the two that are given, but the one that has quit giving, I'm going to take my money back from him and I'm going to give it to someone who's going to do what I asked them to do. And then he goes on to say this, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And if you think you would be upset if someone treated your spouse that way, when you've blessed them and all you did was ask them to take care of your wife, think how much more God gets upset with us when we don't do what God wants us to do. Now, notice what God says here. Because inevitably, there are people who say, well, I can't do this. I can't afford to tithe. And so God says, test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where God tells His people, put me to the test. And then God says, I am going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour down my blessings upon you. Barak, blessings. He says, if you will trust me in this, then I'm going to open up heaven and my blessings are going to be poured out on you so heavy that it's like a flood covering your land. And then he goes on to say this, and this is absolutely amazing. He says, I'm going to bless you in such a way that the nations will look and they will go, they are blessed. In other words, don't miss this. When we become generous people and we begin to trust God with our resources, God not only rains down his blessings upon us, but all of a sudden the world begins to see the blessings. The world takes notice. And the world goes, hmm, there must be something to this thing about God. Now hear me. Do we give so that we can get? Absolutely not. But when we give God's way, it seems biblically that God has said, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to get. And then there's two closing thoughts I want to give you that I believe are important. One, money is not evil. 
but loving money is. Let me say that again. Money is not evil, but loving money is. 1 Timothy 6 says this. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. It doesn't say money is evil, but it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil that cause people to fall into all kinds of temptation and harmful desires. You can love money and be dirt poor. You can love money and be a billionaire. You can love money and be anything in between. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money. If your desire here this morning is to be rich, you need to question your motives because there's something wrong inside. Chances are you're loving money more than you're loving the Lord. But when you become generous and you see your money as a tool to be used for God's glory, then God will take that money and he will bless it and he will give you more of it. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says this, Whoever can be trusted with with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In other words, if I want God to trust me with more, I've got to be trustworthy with what I've already got. And when I've discovered or God's discovered that I'm trustworthy with what I've got, more often than not, he will put more in my hands and he will trust me with more because I've been proven faithful and trustworthy. Second truth, God blesses us financially so we, so we can increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. In Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Now, and understand, the Bible never says that it's wrong to have nice things. The Bible never says it's wrong to drive a nice car. The Bible never says it's wrong to live in a nice home. The Bible never says it's wrong to buy yourself a nice boat if you like fishing or have a nice gun if you enjoy hunting. The Bible never says those things. But it says when you begin to love those things, there's a problem. Because God doesn't bless us so that we can hoard things. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. I've never heard a tither, and I'm closing with this, I've never heard a tither say I'm not blessed. I've hardly ever heard a non-tither do anything but complain about not having enough. Let me say that again. I've never heard a tither do anything but say I'm blessed. I've hardly ever heard a non-tither do anything but say I need more money. I'm struggling. I can hardly get by. I can't pay my bills. Do you think maybe, perhaps, possibly... There's a correlation. There's a connection. That when we begin to give the way God 
tells us to give, God blesses us. And all of a sudden we realize, wow, when I'm obedient in this area, God blesses me in an incredible ways. I want you to hear my heart. Giving is not so much about you meeting the needs of your church as it is you being a conduit of obedience so that God can bless you more, so that you can do more for the kingdom of God. If you're here and you want to be blessed so that you can be a blessing, then you have got to become a generous giver. And the first step, the first step is through tithing. Giving that 10% to your local church. If it's here, here. If it's somewhere else, giving it there. And then, as God blesses, you don't continue to increase your standard of living. You learn how to increase your standard of giving. And when you came in, you received one of these cards. And what I want you to do right now is take this card out. I want all of us to take this card out right now. And I want you to just look at this card for just a moment. On the back of the card, it says, My 2014 Commitment. And there are three areas of commitment we want you to make. The first one is sharing your faith. You can pray for the lost and the unchurched. You can invite the lost and the unchurched. And you can share your story with the lost and the unchurched. And we want you to do that. God's Word compels you to do that. And you may be here and you say, Rocky, I've never shared my story with anyone, but if you help me, if y'all will teach me, if you'll show me how, I'll share my story this year with people that don't know Jesus. You make the commitment, we'll help you. Serving in ministry by what? Committing to use my God-given talents in these ministries at Northside. It, it could be in the preschool. It could be in our children's ministry, our student ministry. It can be as first impressions. It could be in the choir. It, it could be doing so many different things. But you're saying, I want to serve. And I'm going to use the abilities and the gifts that God has given me. But then the third area is what we've been talking about today. Giving my resources. So what are you going to do? Are you going to give at least a tithe? There are some of you here today who have been giving a tithe for a long time. And thank you. And I know that I could bring you up here and you could give a testimony this morning about God's blessings. But if you're here this morning and, and that's where you've been, you've been tithing for a long time, I encourage you. Open up your hand and begin to be an extravagant giver over and above and see what God does. If you're here and you've never made a commitment to tithe, let me encourage you. Make a commitment. Give God a try. He says, test me. And see if I'll not open up the floodgates of heaven, pour out my blessings on you. Make that commitment. And if you make that commitment and you begin to do what you know God wants you to do, but you don't feel like things are changing in your life, then you just stop tithing. Just, but I would love you to tell us. 
because we'd love to sit down and talk because I've got to tell you, I've never met someone who tithe that God didn't honor his promises. He promises to bless us and meet our needs. And I believe that he will with all my heart. And so what I want us to do is I want us to bow our heads both here and at our West Campus. I want us to bow our heads right now. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of commitment does God want me to make this morning? And you may already know what it is because many of you have had this at your house for, for a number of weeks now. But then what I want you to do is I want you to fill this out and I want you to put it in the offering plate in just a moment as your commitment to begin to live out, flesh out what God says in regard to giving so that God can bless you. So right now, just take a moment where you're at and just pray. Ask God, what is it God wants me to do? And then fill out this card and I'm going to close this in prayer. Take a moment, pray. Fill out the card, and then I'm going to close this out in prayer. Father God, I believe with all my heart there are people here this morning that you want to set free. They're living in bondage, financial bondage. And they don't know why. And Lord, it's simply because they haven't trusted you. They aren't following your plan. Lord God, open our hearts, open our minds. And I pray, Father, we'll become obedient. We'll become radically generous today. Not so we can live in bigger houses and drive nicer cars and have fancier toys. So you can use us to be a blessing to the world. So that the world will take notice of your, your hand upon us. We can share your goodness with everyone we come in contact with. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.